Well, good morning, Lakeview family and any guests who might be joining us, and happy Easter. My name is Pastor Evan. This certainly isn't the way that we anticipated celebrating Easter this year, but we are grateful for realities that are worth celebrating nonetheless. In just a moment, we're going to be led in worship by Pastor Ronald and Gina and Seth, and then I'll bring us a few updates, and then Pastor Keith is going to bring us our word for this morning. But let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, your people are characterized as being sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. God, there are reasons to rejoice that are not just bound up in any particular set of circumstances we find ourselves in. So God, bring us an awareness of that, Lord, beyond just the current moment and the current needs. Lord, what are you up to and what have you done for us. Lord, align our hearts with what you have done as we look to you. Let's sing together. Hail the day that Christ arose through the skies to worlds unknown glorious there he ever reigns object of all heaven's praise let's sing that again hail the day hail the day that christ arose through the skies to worlds unknown glorious there he ever reigns object of all hell hallelujah 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 the king of love is on his throne hallelujah hallelujah his grace will lead safely home. See him lift, see him lift his hands above. See the scars of his great love. He has conquered death and sin, saving all stars. His redeemed are on his heart. Even now he intercedes. Jesus cares for all our needs. Hallelujah, hallelujah, the King of love 
Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Today is Easter, and for centuries, Christians around the world have celebrated Christ's emphatic defeat of death and sin by dying on the cross and being raised three days later. And it's important to remember that for us as Christians, Easter is more than some religious symbol or some kind of spiritual metaphor to something else. We believe in the Easter story. We believe that Christ actually rose from the grave. And and not only that, but we believe what Christ did on our behalf by rising from the grave. He's done something for us. Listen to the Apostle Paul tell us what he did. He says in Colossians 2, And you who were dead in your sins and in your sinful nature, God made alive together with Jesus having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with all its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. The resurrection was Christ's final stamp of justification for God's people. So now we can sing together that our debt is paid by the precious blood that our Jesus has spilled. Let's sing that. Now my debt is paid, it is paid in full By the precious blood that my Jesus filled Now the curse of sin has no hold on me Whom the sun set free, oh, is free indeed We remember the sacrifice of Christ on the cross sorrows, Lamb of God, by His own betrayed, the sin of man and wrath of God has been on Jesus'
Scent of heaven. Scent of heaven, God's own Son, to purchase and redeem and reconcile the blood that my Jesus filled. Now the curse of sin has no hold on me. Whom the Son sets free, oh, is free indeed. Now my debt is paid, it is paid in full by the precious blood that my Jesus filled. Yet thought I knew the 
The sin that promised joy in life had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will. And if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. As I ran, my hellbound race, indifferent to the cost, you looked upon my helpless state and led me to the cross. And I beheld God's love displayed, you suffered in my place, you bore the wrath reserved. celebrate today, Lord, on Easter Sunday, Christ rescuing us from the effect of death, Christ providing an answer in a way from our greatest enemy, that thing we fear the most in life has been nailed to a cross, and what happened three days later as Christ came out of that grave. He sealed for us a promise of eternal life. Thank you, Lord, for real historical hope that Christ died and was raised from the grave. We praise you, O God, for what you have done. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to highlight a few ways to connect with us, and all this can be found in the LCC app under the COVID-19 section there, and you'll discover there there's, there's an LCC census. You know, during this, this time of scattering, we want to do our best to, to care for the people, the variety of people that God has brought to us. We just know we've been growing over the past several years, and, and we want to be in touch with who calls this their church home, and how can we best reach out to you and care for you. And in order to, to do that, you would greatly serve us by just taking a few minutes to fill out this census. You know, I, I filled out my government census a couple weeks ago, and, and it just took me about three minutes to do the LCC census as well. You know, I, I don't have as many children as Pastor Keith, so I was a little quicker on that. But uh, that will really serve us. And so if you just click through through the app, you'll, you'll find there a little form to, to fill out in a couple of minutes. Uh, we need every, every person who's connected to us to, uh, to fill that out that would uh, serve the mission and the purposes of God here. 
Um, we're continuing to serve hot meals to the community. In fact, th- this week we gave out 1,500 meals uh, to a variety of people in need. And so thank you very much to those of you who've been coming to serve. Uh, you can still sign up for, for time slots uh, in the coming weeks. There, there are two time slots uh, each morning. You'll find all that information and the, and the way to sign up in the app right there. And we're just asking that uh, those who are serving, they'll go through a health screening and you'll find more information about that in the in the app and then finally uh if you would like to connect with one of the pastors we want to be available to you during these times and and there are different ways you can do that but there's also in the app there's a little button you can click and and you'll you'll have different time slots available on a calendar that you can choose from to set up a, a virtual meeting a phone call or a FaceTime or Zoom video meeting. Uh, you know, we know that these are troubling times and we want to be able to, to care for you, but the rest of life has been going on as well. And so if, if you need any form of uh, counseling or care and would like to set up a time with one of us, uh, please don't hesitate to do that. We, we want to be available to all of the body uh, at this time. We're going to give some attention to, to giving and again, very grateful for those of you who've been giving in faith in these days, and there are different ways to do that through the website, through the app. Uh, you can use bill pay with your bank, or you can mail in a check to the church offices, and we'll be able to get that uh, deposited. But let's go to God in prayer and just acknowledge him as we give. God, you have caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, that is undefiled, that is kept in heaven for us. Lord, would the security and the hope of that inheritance, Lord, would it release our, our grip on our finances, on the, on the resources, of, on the things of this life and of this earth? And cause us to be generous toward your purposes because of the hope that you've given to us. We thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, good morning, Lakeview. I feel like Evan should say the children are now dismissed to children's ministry or something like that. Oh, this is so strange. Just as we are singing and worshiping just now, uh, just a couple of us here doing that while you guys are at home doing that. And I was wandering among the chairs and just imagining your faces seated here and thinking of you and praying for you as we are gathered. But we are just a few of us here gathered without the rest of you here gathered. So this is, this is an unusual Easter season for us, is it not? Um, I titled the message this morning, if you want to Get your Bibles ready. COVID-19 and the hope of the resurrection. And uh, I know a lot of us had Easter sneak up on us. It's not like this morning. It feels like the world is going Easter Sunday. It still feels like it's going COVID-19. And that's all we're hearing about. And all of a sudden we're realizing, ah, today is Easter. But go here with me. I don't know if there's ever been a more ripe moment for a discussion on the resurrection, right? Because you know you don't get to talk about the resurrection unless you have the courage to talk about death, right? Without death, there is no need for a resurrection. There's no even purpose for a resurrection. But resurrection means something when death is in the conversation. And let's face it, death 
has been in the conversation, has it not? Uh, This is the most unusual time. I've never lived in my life, and I think most of you would be able to say the same, without daily getting an, an update on the death count. Every day we get an update on the death count from our president, from our governor. We're paying attention to these numbers. We know how many people are dying around the world, how many are dying in the United States, how many are dying in Louisiana, in New Orleans, related to the coronavirus. Um, And we also know this, this death element, it's not just a matter of whether or not biologically we're going to die. This coronavirus has generated conversations about all kinds of impacts of death. There's a lot of things dying in our lives that are important to us right now. It it was important to us to be together on Easter Sunday morning. For the first time in the history of most of our lives, we're not gathered in a church building on an Easter Sunday morning. Uh, I'm here because we're going to film this, but but you're not here, right? And and I'm not going to be joining with the body of Christ on Easter Sunday morning. That has been touched by this death of the coronavirus. But I know a lot of you guys are experiencing death in a bunch of categories, right? I've got pastors here who are um, facing the possibility of their wife going to have a baby and them not being there for the birth of that baby. We've got family members in the church who children are graduating and yet there won't be a graduation that they get to participate in. Some of you guys are seniors in high school, and this was your year of being a senior on the baseball team, and there's no baseball season for you to participate in, right? Our, our lives are, are filled with the ways in which death is touching our world. So I, I want to ask you a question. How are you, how are you engaging God in this moment when death is a daily reality? I, I draw aside, you know, I have an evening pattern of prayer late at night. I, I go pray for a while, but I've, you know, added to that in this season to be finding other opportunities to pray. And uh, I even participated in a couple of cyber prayer meetings this past week. The governors uh, and pastors in our area had a meeting last Sunday night, just online, just we could all join together in prayer Uh, There was a gathering that many of us participated in last week, a a gathering of Christians all throughout our country that prayed together. What what are you asking God to do right now in your prayer time? Right? I mean, this this has something to do with how we understand this moment. Right? If we believe in a God who's in control, who didn't suddenly fumble our universe and, and he forgot about us somehow, we believe in that God, and we believe that God could do something about this moment right now. That's why we go to God in prayers, because we believe those things. What are you asking God to do? Right, so I've pondered, Lord, am I, am I just praying prayers that say, God, could you just fix this thing real quick and just put, put us back to where we were a couple of months ago? Could you just take us back to the life that we had just a couple of months ago? Are, are you praying prayers that sound that way? Because I'm, I'm wondering if God wants to do more than where we were a couple of months ago. I mean, let's be honest. I, I've seen these notices online. People are praying more than they've been praying. You know, suddenly we're kind of getting around the thought that God matters. How many of us just a couple of months ago would have to admit that we were living lives where God was so on the edge of our lives? We were so busy, so doing other things. And we got no objection to a God who rose from the dead. We even believe a lot of those things, but that wasn't a daily reality right? 
Maybe God wants to do a little bit more in this season than just press the reset button. If we pray hard enough, God will press the reset button and we'll go back to what we were two and three months ago. I think God wants to do more than that. So can I introduce you to a wise voice? There was a man in the Bible. He was called the wisest man who lived. His name was Solomon. He was a king over the nation of Israel in the 10th century BC. And later in his life, he was going to look back over life and try and make sense of it. And he was going to write the book of Ecclesiastes. And I want to bring him into our conversation today. I'm going to do it now. I'm going to do it at the end of the message as well. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 18, this is what wise King Solomon said as he reviewed life. He said, I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts, right? I think it's appropriate to do what Solomon does in this moment, right? Another translation into the English from the original language says, I also thought about the human condition, right? So he's pondering life and he says, you know, there are certain moments where stuff happens that he says, this is being done because God is testing man, that man may see something about himself, Verse 19, for what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. And man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. What if COVID-19 moments in the history of man are designed by a God who loves and cares for us, but he keeps trying to knock on the reality of our world and say, hey, there's something more than this. There's something more than this. There's something more than this. You guys are falling in love with daily routines and daily spaces. There's something more than this. Oh, by the way, that shadowy thing that follows you through life called death, it's going to show up one day in a powerful way. Right now it's showing up in little ways. It's going to show up in a massive way. There's something more than this. There's something more than this. So is God trying to get in this moment when you pray to God and say, God, do whatever it is that you want to do in this moment. Are we taking into account the idea that maybe God wants to open our eyes to some bigger realities that have been filling our days? Well, isn't that what the resurrection is all about? Isn't this Easter celebration that we go through every year, a moment when God says, you know, there's this massive thing called death. I sent my son, I took it on, and I came out of the other side with a new life, and I want to give that life to you. I want to give resurrection life to you. Well, that's where I want to land with this. But let's go back. Let's, let's fast forward from the wise voice of King Solomon to the first century, 25 years after the resurrection has taken place. It's still the thing to talk about. And the Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthians, the people who lived in a town called Corinth, and we'll pick up his conversation with them. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12. Here's what Paul is going to say about the resurrection. He says, now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead. Can I just highlight that word dead? Pay attention to it as we read through this passage. It's going to get mentioned, either dead, death, or the concept of death, over 10 times, right? So this is not me being really super negative for those of you guys who 
think, hey, why, why are you choosing to talk about this? Well, basically because if, if you don't have a healthy concept of what death is, resurrection is meaningless to you, right? So Easter is a meaningless uh, celebration. So Paul brings up, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Our faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Let me just stop for a second before we finish that verse. You know, I know that that we live in a world that kind of gives everybody their own space and gives everybody their own choices. So you can be this religion, you can be that religion, you can choose to believe this, you can choose to believe, hey, that's up to you. But, But can you notice something? Whatever it is you believe about Christianity, Christianity lives and dies, if you will, on the resurrection. If Jesus Christ isn't the son of God who came and lived a perfect life, died in our place, and then overcame death through the resurrection, if the resurrection didn't happen, the Bible turns around and says, all you Christians, we should feel sorry for you. (laughs) You're a pitiful bunch because you have believed something that's not true and you've wasted your entire life. You live for a God who didn't do what you think he did. You've put your hope in something that's not gonna happen to you. Suckers, you have wasted your life. That's the way you ought to feel about Christianity. If there's any possibility that the resurrection is not true. So this is a massive thing that we believe, right? And Paul is saying, hey, don't treat this lightly. Some of you guys are saying, oh, there is no resurrection. That's a massive thing for you to say, right? And he goes on and finishes his thought here in verse 20. He says, but in fact, right? The Bible, the apostle Paul treat the resurrection like it's a fact. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. In other words, he's the first one, but we're coming next. God's gonna resurrect us too. For as by a man came death, by a man, has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam, all die, right? This resurrection is relevant to all of us because all die. So also in Christ, all shall be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God, the father, and after destroying every rule and every authority and power, For he himself must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. See how many times death is talked about here? You and I aren't doing, I can almost promise you this. You and I are not doing our daily lives right if death is not part of our conversation. If we don't ever ponder, death is going to show up. Death is going to touch people in your life. Losing things, things that we thought were permanent are not going to be permanent. If that's not part of our 
soulish conversation, then I, I can promise you we are living our life wrong. And I will say this, we are all aware of this, right? As death is the conversation of every day right now, it's the enemy that needs to be destroyed. And you notice how unified everybody is right now? Isn't that interesting? Right? If you give everybody a common enemy, we'll all come together, right? So nations are coming together. People are coming together. Democrats and Republicans are coming together. There's a coming together here because we all share an awareness that we all have one enemy. His name is death. And we may disagree on a bunch of things, but we all are facing that enemy. Do you realize the Bible teaches that there is one way to deal with death and one way to overcome death, only one way, the resurrection. What Jesus Christ did that we celebrate on this day. But let me pull us into the controversy of this passage, right? This, this passage starts in verse 12 with, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? All right, so just be aware. There are always people, always have been people who challenge the idea that Jesus Christ was actually raised from the dead. Right? And, I, and I get that at some level. Listen, all of our technology, everything we're doing right now, we're fighting to keep people alive because we know once you pass beyond death, there's no coming back. We've got no remedy for that. We can't bring you back. We're going to fight with all of our might to keep you alive because once you get on the other side of death, we are powerless. And so to say that there was one who went through death and came out the other side with a new life, that's a little hard for us to get our minds around right? That's going to involve something supernatural. It's not natural for somebody to be resurrected to a new life. That's not natural. It takes a supernatural act for that to take place. So I get that there's a little bit of challenge in that, but, but let me speak to a, a little narrower audience, right? Um, there's very few people who, who actually just have no belief at all don't believe in a supernatural being who could resurrect people from the dead. That, that's not a super common experience. You know what's more common in the, in the places that we live in? What's more common today in our lives, in our culture, is people who casually believe in the resurrection. They're kind of like the, these distant spectators. It's like, you know, we'll celebrate Easter today because, you know, I know the story about Jesus Christ and he was crucified and he was in the ground for three days and then he was resurrected. Yeah. I mean, I've heard that, and I don't have any big objections to that. Yeah, I'm kind of okay with that. Can I just tell you, there's a big difference between having daily hope that that happened and kind of being okay with it. There's lots of us. I live part of my life kind of okay with it. And it had no daily impact on my life. I didn't wake up every day with a sense of hope and joy and purpose and permanence about my life. No, no, no. But I showed up at Easter services. I came to church. I acknowledged the story, and at some level, I didn't disbelieve it. I didn't challenge it and say, oh, that's ridiculous. I don't believe that. No, I kind of did believe it, but it didn't produce in me a daily hope. So I want to challenge us a little bit on this Easter day in the face of all this news about death. Do we believe in the resurrection in such a way that it's revolutionized our daily lives? That's what God was after, right? So... In this setting, there are some folks who are challenging this idea, right? They're saying, we don't believe in a resurrection. And they had reasons why they didn't believe in a resurrection. If, if you were a Greek back then, you believed that there was this tainted portion of you that was physical and material. And, and that 
There's no way that that could come back to life in some form and be a good thing. So you, you kind of had challenged believing in the resurrection because of Greek philosophy and what was informing you. And, and then there was another set of people who would have been in the town of Corinth who would have believed similarly that if there's life beyond death, well, what if we have it right now? What if mysteriously right now we actually have that life? So in some way, there isn't a resurrection that's coming. We've got everything we're going to have right now. So there was another group that believed that. So people had their reasons to say, hey, we don't believe in the resurrection the way, Paul, you're talking about it, right? Well, today, uh, today there are voices saying there's no resurrection. And the one that I'm most concerned about and the one that I want to talk about today is our cultural voice that finds ways to interact with the, the, the death notice that we receive on a regular basis, but yet still ignores the resurrection. It finds some other remedy. Hey, it recognizes there is this thing, death, out there. But, you know, we can deal with death a different way. We don't need the resurrection to do it, right? I found this interesting thought from a pastor in New York named Tim Keller. He wrote a description of our modern age, right? And I think every culture has got to identify for itself what it believes and how it does life, right? He says this, late modernity, and he means our, our current day. Late modernity says that the natural world is the only reality. It believes that everything has a physical cause and explanation. Even love and moral feelings are functions of brain chemistry. And that material prosperity is the only prosperity there is. This view provides the basis of today's powerful consumer and technological culture, which holds out that our problems will yield to technological solutions if we throw enough time, and money, and effort at discovering them. The utopian narrative is still very powerful in our culture. Objective, detached human reason can solve what ails us. Psychology and medicine will help us adjust and overcome emotional and physical problems. Sociology will help us create a just society. Technology will figure out solutions to hunger and aging and poverty and environmental calamity. Men and women can live healthy and just lives quite as well, if not better, without religion as with. So religion should be kept private. Right? So there's a voice in our culture today that, that says we don't need the resurrection. It's insignificant. It doesn't matter to us because, well, um, if you're going to live a life, just fill it up with, with consuming things, right? With add some new technology, invent some new ways of doing life. That's the answer to this death environment that we live in. But, you know, do we really believe that? I mean, I got to say, if you go back a few months, it seemed like the motto of many of our lives was consume, consume, consume. Be prepared to have more. Fix your life in such a way that you're going to be able to have more and more and more. So I know that we technically believed in the resurrection, many, but we live lives like what really makes life worth living is what we consume. Having something that's the latest thing, going on a new adventure. And, and this starts out early in life, right? Parents, we, we recognize this. We're trying to get our kids in the right pre-K so they can get in the right kindergarten, so they can get into the right grammar school, so that one day they can go to Harvard. And they can have a job that's going to provide for them the amount of money that it's going to take for them to live in America and do what? Be a good consumer. 
right? Being able to go on a good vacation, be able to subscribe to Netflix, be able to have a new house, be able to have things. Because listen, whether we have said we believed it or not, life is about what you consume. You know, when it becomes about what you consume and you face a day like today where you don't get to go shop, where you don't get to go consume, where you might not have a job that provides money for you to buy the next thing that's going to provide the next pleasure, that's going to distract us from the idea that anything dies in our world. That's a problem. It really is. And so here's another thought in, in Mr. Keller's quote here. There is no resurrection. Life is 100% physical. That's all it is. It's just, it's just what you do. It's, it's, it's this stuff, right? It's, it's what you can touch and taste and see. That's it. There is no soul. There's no internal dimension to who we are as beings. It's just all brain chemistry and body function. Uh, do you believe that? Right? I put this in your, in your app notes. If you go online, we've got notes that accompany our messages. So if you are online looking at the apps, I wrote this all out for you as a question. Do you believe that this right here, right now is all there is? Are you convinced that your immaterial experiences, right? Your, your treasured memories as you look back and tears well up in your eyes as you look at a picture and you think about your past, your sense of historic roots, your interpersonal longings and affections, that stuff that goes off on the inside of you that's powerful, that can make your day feel really fun or really miserable, your quest for meaning, your need to be loved and included, the feelings of despair or the longing to hope in something. Do you think that's just body chemistry? Do you think you're your soul might be made of something that, that can't be discovered through a blood test or a DNA sample? Do you think there might be something more to you than just what's physically, naturally touchable? See, when all we are is natural beings, then, then we start transferring our hope to things like technology, medicine, what can fix the way the world feels broken to us. Um, and I get Technology and science can step forward right now in our day and age and say, hey, you check my resume? Pretty impressive, huh? I mean, just think about 100 years ago, just 100 years ago, where we were in comparison to technology today, right? The average person 100 years ago was walking around or maybe riding a horse if he could own one. But he didn't drive a car. And he didn't fly on a plane. He may have taken the train 100 years ago. And we've come a long way in the transportation world, right? Uh, how about communication? How about our, our tech world that we live in, right? The TV gets invented and, you know, you get some shows in black and white and they're fuzzy and kind of hard to look at back in the 50s. Listen, in this short period of time, you and I have got this technological device in our pockets that's crystal clear and it can go live. And right now you're seeing me through it in some mysterious way. It's traveled to you. Technology has accomplished some stuff, has it not? But if you go back 100 years, you would be invading a moment when something called the 1918 flu showed up. And I don't know if you've seen the numbers for the 1918 flu. They're, they're pretty intimidating. The amount of death that took place, that suddenly out of nowhere, a viral infection comes along and man with all of his science and all of his medicine can't stop it. 
Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Sounds like a hundred years later, there still continue to be things in our world that you and I just can't stop. Death comes into our world. And I don't want to say just death, but decay, decline, things getting worse that comes into our world. And you and I can't seem to do anything about stopping it, no matter how technologically advanced we become. Right? It's true. We are living longer than we used to live. Not hugely longer. It's not like 20 years longer, but it's significantly longer. But can I just tell you, having walked with my parents through their elderly years, and now I'm on the, the beaches of the elderly years coming up for myself, they're not the prettiest, easiest years around. Right? Can you just be warned, those of you who are 25 or 35 or 45, uh, the 20-year span between 75 and 95 is extremely different than the 20-year span from 25 to 45. Your mindset is different. Your body is different. The way you engage life, the way stuff feels in your world is so different. So if you could just say, I have 20 more years. Can I just tell you and warn you in advance? Decay and death is going to touch those years. And it won't be like the ones you had when you were 25 to 45, when everything was like, woohoo, adventure. Let's try this. Let's do that. At 75 and 85 and 95, you don't feel the same. I remember having some just interesting conversations with my dad. My dad lived to be 96 years old, sharp in his mind in many, many ways, even at that age, and had good health through many of those years. But I can remember conversations with him towards the end, especially his last year, where he was looking back over life and how he was talking about it. Right there, I can remember him saying, you know, Keith, I... I can't remember my 70s and my 80s, right? He's 96 years old and he's trying to recall this section of life. And that leaps out at me as so significant because my dad was such a responsible man who set aside money, saved and prepared for retirement. At 65 years old, my dad retired and he would live another 30 years and he had prepared for retirement. He wanted to travel. He he and my mom went all over the world. He wanted to do things in those retirement years. He wanted to build things and accomplish things in his retirement years. And I thought he's 96 years old and he can't remember what he did. Again, he was a pretty sharp guy, but he was losing some abilities. And he didn't have this zeal and this adventure in him in his late 80s and early 90s. He didn't want to try new things. He'd kind of been there and done that. He'd done all kinds of stuff already. Stuff that I'm still thinking, oh, this is adventurous. This is fun. Hey, Dad, what about? And he just kind of like, uh. And he got bored with life. Right? I'd pop in and visit him, and we'd sit down and talk. And said, Dad, what'd you do today? Uh, nothing. I don't know, Keith. I'm just bored. I don't know why the good Lord leads me here. I don't know many, how many times I had that conversation with him through his 80s. It's like he had just run out of gas for an adventure. And then, and then my mom died and he lived another year and a half after that. And that last year of his life, uh, it felt like he was sitting in the waiting room waiting for death. That's what it felt like to interact with him. I mean, he, what are you going to do, right? Your, your kids are grown. Uh, they're doing their life and I've lost my wife and there's no vacations in the future. We're not going to travel and go anywhere. I'm not building anything. I don't have the energy to do yard work. I can't get out and do much. It literally started to feel like he was in the waiting room, just waiting for death to come for him. 
Now listen, that, that, that may sound sad and morbid in some ways, but, but can I tell you, death is going to do that to everybody. And not just death, the period from decline. You're not going to be 35 forever. You're not going to think like a 35-year-old. You're not going to feel like a 35-year-old. Your, your life is going to go through something. And there needs to be an answer for that, right? Plato recorded, you know, the philosopher Plato, he recorded a thought from Socrates where Socrates said this. He said, there's nothing I like better, Cephalus, than talking with old men. I see them as travelers who have gone ahead on a road we too may have to go. And we ought to find out what it's like, rough and difficult or smooth and easy. I, I, I find that quote very interesting in our day and age. And here's why. Because our day and age doesn't want to hear from old people. When was the last time you saw an old person get interviewed on some nightly news, you know, entertainment tonight type program, right? The people that we're paying attention to, they're young. You know, their bodies are still sleek. They all look great in a dress or they're all like GQ kind of guys. Uh, their, Their brains are thinking clearly, right? They're living the adventure. They're on the foothills of becoming superstars or they already are superstars and they're living some life. And all they've got to report is dream big, dream big. Oh, isn't it great? Isn't it great? For that little 20 year window of their life where they go from 20 to 40 and it's, and then you're going to turn 50 and 60 and no one wants to hear from you anymore because at 50 and 60, you don't sound that way anymore. You start to sound a little bit more like Solomon. You start looking back over your life and you, you kind of cast a shadow on over all that. Woohoo! Another adventure. We get to go here. We get to do that. We're going to build another house. We're going to start a new business. You don't sound that way at 60 and at 70. As a matter of fact, life starts to feel a little bit different to you in that moment. And sometimes you kind of run out of gas. And you don't like how it feels to be sitting in the waiting room, waiting for death. And some people can't deal with that very well. They don't have any hope, living hope in this day. And they end up taking their own lives. Some of them do. Did did you know that in our vast technological age, when we've invented so much cool stuff, did you know that the suicide rate has gone up over 30% since the turn of the century? People are taking their lives more now than perhaps ever recorded. In a day in which we have so much to live for, what, what's going on there? Right, do you remember the day? I mean, I remember the day that I heard Robin Williams, you know, the comedian, the guy just funny, this guy we loved watching his movies. We loved hearing from Robin when he was young. But when Robin got older, life couldn't provide for him hope on a daily basis. He took his own life. Right, do you know how many guys that we grew up with have taken their own life in this century? Probably, maybe you haven't heard of some of these guys committed suicide because we don't want to hear this. I want to hear from the young guy who's just learning to play the guitar and he's a superstar right now, right? What about Brad Delp? You want to hear about Brad Delp? The guitar player for the band Boston who took his own life. I grew up listening to Brad, right? I, I loved Boston and I love listening to the guitar players in Boston. I didn't even know he took his own life until I did some research. Dave Dewerson, played for the Chicago Bears in the 1980s, that incredible defense that they had. Did you know Dave Dewerson took his own life? Keith Emerson of Emerson, Lake, and Palmer fame. I was a big Emerson, Lake, and Palmer fan, the band in the 70s. So he'd have been maybe 10 years older than me. 
uh, took his own life. Kate Spade, right? Those of you who are fashion folks. Did you ever hear from Kate in the later years of her life, before she took her life, what life felt like for her? Um, Anthony Bourdain, famous exec, you know, the chef, the celebrity chef. You know, we get shocked when we hear these guys took their lives. And the shock is because no one wanted to talk to them about when life ran out of gas for them and when it just stopped providing a daily living hope for them. We don't want to hear from you when that's how your life feels. We want to stick you on TV and listen to you when you're still young and naive. You know, the Bible uses that word naive, and I don't mean it as an insult. Naive just means you you haven't done what Socrates was talking about. You haven't been far enough into life to actually be able to fully comment on it. So there's something about this decay and this death that, that, listen, technology can't spare us of it. I wrote this in your, in your notes. Technology can prop us up for a few more years, but that same technology can't contribute anything to the inner longings we have for joy, hope, security, permanence, meaning, purpose. We, we want something and we want someone in our lives to last forever. And when life starts feeling like that ain't going to happen, our hope begins to dry up. But see, that's, that's everything that the resurrection's about, isn't it? The Bible says it's a living hope that the resurrection offers us. All right, let me go back and visit our friend Solomon for just for a moment before I bring us to a conclusion today. That old voice, right? Here's an old voice. He's wrinkly. He's probably not on the cover of anything. He's an abstract interview with a guy no one really wants to hang around and talk at this point, but he has written the inspired word of God in Ecclesiastes, and this is how he's going to review life, right? Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 18. I hated all my toil, which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows? Whether he'll be wise or a fool, yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity, right? This is troubling. So I turned about and gave my attention up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun, right? This is a man who hated. This is a man who was despairing. This doesn't sound like you're... 30-year-old who's just being let off the leash, does it? No, no, this guy's a little farther down the road in the story. Verse 21, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This is vanity. He must leave everything. See, this is not a man who's dead yet. This is a man who knows that decay and death touch our lives. And at some point, we're going to leave stuff behind that meant something to us. This also, he said, is a vanity and a great evil. Verse 22, what has a man from all the toil and striving of heart, which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days, all his days are full of sorrow And his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. Solomon, what are you talking about there? Is this a biological, natural thing? His heart doesn't rest. His heart beats probably 72 beats a minute. It's doing what it always does. That's not what he's talking about, is it? 
You know, it's not that heart that's keeping you up at night. It's, it's that inner being of you, that non-material portion of you that's looking for more than the next heartbeat. It's looking to live your life for something that's just not going to fade and evaporate. That's what he's talking about. Verse 24, he says, There is also, or there is nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? Listen, when you start detaching God from the daily spaces of our lives and the resurrection promises that he makes to us, who can have enjoyment? Because in the back of our mind, what's playing out every day of our life is, I'm going to die just like my dad did. And no matter what I built, I'm going to leave it to somebody else. And no matter how hard I worked and how much fear there was in my daily routines to lose something, it's all going to decay. And, and, and what am I going to be like? Am I going to remember some of these things? Right? This is all what's floating up. I need God in these moments. Right? And then just a few verses later, this is the last thing I'll pick up from Solomon. He says, what gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He's made everything beautiful in its season, in its time. And notice he just finished this long string. Some of you guys have read the Bible, you'll remember. There's a time for everything under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a a, a time for war and a time for peace. He's got this long list where he says, hey, life is full of seasons. It's got moments that you travel through those moments. And he says right here, God has made everything beautiful in its time. There's going to be a time for you to be 20 years old and life gets to feel like you're 20. And there's going to be a time when it's 30, you you get to feel like it's 30. There's a time for everything. But then he goes on and says this, that God has put eternity into man's heart. So here's the two dimensions of how you and I live our lives. There's the daily spaces that we live our lives in and, and God has created those and they're beautiful in their own way. But there's something else in my heart, in my inside, that's not just about this moment right here on earth. It's, it's eternity. There's, my heart has something sown inside of it that God stuck there. He put eternity in my heart. My heart, my inner being, my soul longs for something more than this moment. It longs for eternity. It longs to answer the question, does anything last that matters in life? And that's in my heart. And by the way, it's in yours too. And it'll never get answered by natural things. It's going to take something like the resurrection to speak to it. Right? That word there. Let me just pick up on that word for a second. God has set eternity in our hearts. Uh, The the original language of the Bible here is is in the, the Hebrew language. And so we're going to translate Hebrew into English. And we come up with the word eternity because that's a close match for what our language says, but, but then there's another element, another word that could be used here and actually gets used just a few verses later. It's the word forever. Same exact Hebrew word. One moment translated eternity, another moment it's going to be translated this way. Just a few verses later, it says, I perceive, Solomon said, that whatever God does endures forever. Same word. So in, you could say God has put forever in our hearts. There's something about you that doesn't want just right here, right now. It wants forever. It wants things to last forever. It's never going to be okay with the fact that decay and death touch our world. 
Because God didn't create us for that. God created us for permanent things that would last forever, right? Here's a great thought from Tim Keller. He says, Genesis 1 and 2 show us humankind put by God into a world without death and suffering, right? This is the Garden of Eden. There's no death. There's no suffering. No one's going to die and go away. He says, the evil we see today was not part of God's original design. That means that ultimately, even a peaceful death at the age of 95 years old is not the way things were meant to be. Those of us who sense the wrongness of death in any form are correct. We are not meant for mortality, for the loss of love, or for the triumph of darkness. Listen, when God created us, we were supposed to have a permanent relationship with him. We were supposed to live lives that would last forever. It's what sin and death brought into our world that's destroyed. Husbands and wives who have walked for years and then suddenly one of them's gone. Do you understand that wasn't in the original design? Sin brought that with it. And it brought death. And death brings with it this sense of separation. Those of you who have tragically lost children. And you're trying to get over that. Do you understand there's a part of you that God has put forever in your heart. That's never going to feel right. God will give you grace to be able to live each day. But that's never going to feel right to you. Because it wasn't supposed to be temporary. It was supposed to be forever. There are things about our lives that God designed us for them to last forever. And then sin and death came into our world. And now forever is in our hearts, but we can't have it. Or can we? We can have it through the resurrection. That's what Easter Sunday is about. It's a daily awareness that God did something so powerful and so profound in sending his son to live a perfect life as a human being, but then to yield. You know, death didn't take Jesus' life. He gave his life up. And then he entered into death and was three days in the earth, in death, and then the resurrection came. And then he turns and says, I can give this resurrection to everybody who believes in me. I can give you a new life out of your old life. I can give you that which is forever. And you'll never lose it again. The things that are in that life you can never lose them. Right, here's the great concluding thought I want to bring to you. Death is the daily news in our world. Here's the solution. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope, right? This is not just uh, like an insurance policy you buy. So the, hey, well, if I kick the bucket at the end there, I've got this resurrection thing that kicks in, right? No, no, it's a living hope. It's right now. It's going to show up in how I do life today. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading kept in heaven for you. I love those three words. I love the fact that God sticks these words right in this setting because 
That's what's happening all around us. Things are perishing. Things are becoming polluted by other things and things are fading right in front of us. And if you live enough years, you're going to see those things play out all around you in the lives of the people that you love. You're going to see them play out in your own life. You're going to begin to fade. You're not going to be the same person that you once were. I I know this sounds like, oh, that's so encouraging, Keith. Uh, Listen, if you don't have an answer for that, then you don't have a daily hope in your life. I just promise you that. You've got a daily distraction. You've got something that's killing the noise of that. But when your father or your mother dies or somebody tragically dies around you or somebody gets diagnosed with a disease that's going to make their body decay, you're going to find you got no answer in that moment. And God intended you to have a living hope even in that moment. So listen, COVID-19 is going to bring on what it can bring on, and it already is. But we have a hope. We have a hope in the resurrection That is forever. It gives us a life that nothing can take from us. So I want to introduce you to that life. Seth, you can go ahead and come back up. We're going to conclude. I wrote this, I think I wrote this in your outline. Thinking about that first Peter passage. The resurrection produces in us a living hope. A daily experience of hope. Because we know that our lives are not bound to perishable, declining, and fading things. But to a living relationship with God and to a life that we can never lose. That will not suddenly perish or depart. That won't just fade into the sunset. What was God doing on Easter Sunday morning? Well, he was giving us a living hope in our days of daily death counts. So ponder with me. You and I are watching these headlines. Some of them can still feel pretty distant from us, right? They're, they're people dying in Italy or Spain or another state. It's really disturbing when one of our loved ones shows up in the hospital and suddenly that death is a little closer to home. But you know, whether COVID-19 shows up and rewrites your personal story in some massive way, and it may do that, there may be economic death that rewrites part of your life right now. All of us know this, with or without a COVID-19, Death is in our world and decay and decline is in our world. And you and I have to live with that because there's something inside of us that longs for something to be permanent, something that can't be taken from us, something that we don't get a knock on the door for somebody to tell us that we've lost that too. You want something on the inside that God wants for you as well. Do you know God's not okay with death having the last word? Remember, that's the last enemy that God says, I'm going to come back and I'm going to crush death under my feet forever. For right now, the only way for death to get defeated in our lives is through the resurrection that comes through Jesus Christ. And, And we can have that right now. Listen, this verse highlights something, right? That first Peter verse highlights something. That this God, through Jesus Christ, by his mercy, 
it causes us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection. Born again. That has to do with the life that's in the resurrection. I was born one time with a body and with a life that's going to die. But God says, how about I give you another life that will never be taken from you? How about you are born again with a new life that gives you a living hope that you know every day for the rest of your life. This life that I have right now and the treasures that I have and the things that are laid up for me forever in eternity with God, I can never lose those things. So if I lose something temporary in my world around me, that's part of living on earth right now. But I can never lose the life and the things that God has given me in this new life. Well, if you're asking, how can I have that? Well, Jesus calls on us to receive that life from him. You can't get it anywhere else. It's not going to be in the vaccine that they finally come up with next year. But you can get it by going to Jesus Christ and by putting your faith and your trust, taking your whole life up and saying, Lord, this version, the one I've got is going to die. Can I give it to you? And you give me back one that can never be taken from me, one that'll live forever. My heart longs for forever. Can you give that to me? And he will. If you will put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, what we celebrate on this day is his death, his burial, and his resurrection. He defeated death, and he will give that life to anybody who calls upon him. Listen, maybe you're sitting on your sofa at home or driving in a car and listening to this message, wherever you are. I know people in our church who have met God on their sofa, laying in their bed, driving in their car. In that moment, God came in and revolutionized their life. The impact, the reality of the resurrection came to them in that moment because they just prayed a simple prayer. It's you putting into words your repentance. God, I'm turning to you. I'm turning away from myself. And I'm putting my faith. I believe in you, Jesus. I believe what you did, not just from a distance, but I believe in you and I give you my life today. And I ask you to give me resurrection life, a new life. Pray that right now. Ask God to do that right now. If you want that right now, God wants it for you. That's why he came to give the life to us that we had lost so long ago. So if you'll pray that prayer right now, Jesus Christ will come into your life from this moment forward. He promised to do that. And you can remember Easter 2020, the weirdest time of my life. But I remember that day when I put my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ to give me a life, a forever life that can never be taken away from me. Let me pray for you. Gina's going to come back and sing a song to conclude our service. And then we got a little special video where you get to hear from some folks in our church who are going to tell you how the the resurrection has impacted their life. Let's just pray together. Father, thank you for this Resurrection Sunday. Because like never before in our lives, Lord, death is sitting at our doorstep. We're watching it take things from our world. Physical life, ways of life, things that we love. So God, thank you that in the midst of all that, Easter Sunday shows up right in the middle of it. 
And the news of the resurrection brings us a living hope. We have hope right now in our lives because of the resurrection. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. What is our only confidence? That our souls to Him belong. What holds our days within His hands? What comes apart from His command? And what will keep us to the end? The love of Christ in which we stand. Oh, sing hallelujah. Our hope springs eternal. Oh, sing hallelujah. Now and ever we confess. Christ, our hope in life and death. What truth can calm the troubled soul? God is good. God is good. Where is his grace and goodness known? In our great redeemer. Blood who holds our faith when fears arise, who stands above the stormy trial, who sends the waves that bring us nigh unto the shore, the rock of Christ. Oh, sing hallelujah! Our hope springs eternal. Unto the grave, what shall we sing? Christ, he lives, Christ, he lives. And what reward will heaven bring? Everlasting life with him. There we will rise to meet the Lord. Then sin and death will be destroyed. And we will feast in endless joy when Christ is ours forevermore. Oh, sing hallelujah. Our hope springs eternal. Oh, sing hallelujah. Now and ever we confess. Christ, our hope in life and death, now and
Tomorrow you'll get another death count. We'll get reminded again that we're still in a decaying world that falls apart and seeks for remedies. But what a living hope we have that no matter what happens in this world, we have a living hope that we can never, ever lose. Listen, it's been so great to have you. If, if you're a guest or maybe just recently tuning in and joining us, what a, what a joy for us to share this good news with you. Can I encourage you, if, if maybe you have prayed that prayer or maybe just recently you have said, Christ, I, I want you in my life and, and you're seeking to walk with God. If you want to get in touch with us, if maybe you've got somebody you know who's a, a Christian following God and has a living hope in them, But if we can help you at all in that, we'd love to send you a Bible, help you just get to know this Lord who's given his life to you. Uh, You can go to our website and send us, go on to the contact information, just send us an email. We'd love to get back in touch with you and be whatever help and encouragement that we could be. So next week, we'll be back broadcasting uh, another live service, uh, or at least an online service. And We're available throughout the week, sending some news out. Hopefully it's encouraging to those of you who are taking a moment to listen to those. Uh, But here's how we want to go out. We want to give you a chance to see some faces of some folks that you would have bumped into today on Sunday if you'd have been here. Uh, Hearing you or hearing them tell you the story of how the resurrection has impacted their lives. Enjoy seeing these dear friends and we'll see you guys next week. So I was reading this morning in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where Paul writes that if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then our faith is in vain. And it just reminded me and reminds me that if in fact Jesus didn't come out of that tomb, then he might have been a great teacher to me and I might have learned some nice lessons from him. But when I prayed for salvation back in 2003, it would have been pretty much just a a nice, um, maybe emotional moment for me. But he wouldn't have actually, in fact, saved me, nor more importantly, come and live into my heart through the Holy Spirit. The resurrection has impacted my life because it's declared to me that the Lord is really over every single aspect of this life, including death itself. And I can rest in the fact that because of that, I will also overcome the grave and I will be with him one day. The resurrection helps me to have right expectations for this world and to put my hope in the right place. I'm okay if I don't feel like I'm getting ahead at work or in finances because I know I'm after treasure that can never be taken and and never decays. I'm okay if the, the pain in my ankle only ever gets worse because I expect that this body is going to decay and um, it's going to be made new. The impact that Christ's resurrection has had on my life in this world can be summed up in the words hope and power. Hope and power in the thousands of moments that make up each and every one of my days. Hope and power to get out of bed on a dreary day. Hope and power to care for and serve and discipline and love my children. To deal with the same issues over and over again in their lives and in my own. Hope and power 
in my marriage, hope and power in relationships with friends and neighbors and co-workers. The impact of the resurrection on my life is that I have hope. My hope is in the resurrected Christ and his spirit that lives inside of me. And that causes me not to be afraid, but to run into the fire for the sake of the gospel and to live hard for Christ because I know that this isn't my home. A verse that comes to mind in particular is Romans 8 verse 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. So the resurrection of Christ reminds me that I have new life. I have a living hope. I'm forgiven. I'm redeemed. And it's forever. The resurrection is truly our assurance that Jesus is who he says he is. And it's visible proof that his promises are true and that my salvation is real and complete. Initially, I used to think that death was the end of life. So without resurrection, I was approaching life from the standpoint of death. But now that I am saved, and with the miracle of resurrection in me, I am beginning to approach death from the standpoint of life.